Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 23 of Adding Value, the podcast, Anarchy to Federation and Everything in Between. Meet me at the Mission at Midnight and we'll divvy up there. I'm going to apologize ahead of time for the length here. Substack's information button tells me it will take you about 13 minutes to read this or about 20 minutes to listen to it. So buckle up. This one's going to be a little longer than most of the others, uh, but I think it's going to be worth it. Today, we're going to discuss two very related concepts, organizational structure and network governance. The first deals with how the firm itself is organized. The second deals with how the various stakeholders within the firm or network communicate. We'll see the interaction of these as we explore different forms of decentralization. You may recall in our last issue, we equated firms with means of production or company, but it might make sense to adopt a more formal definition here. The firm is a central institution in the functioning of any economic system in which people meet their needs through the division of labor, cooperative production, and the exchange of goods and services. As part of the system, firms serve to produce goods and services for sale on the marketplace, a necessary function allowing each person to combine specialization in work with the satisfaction of his or her multiple needs. BBVA, the economy of the firm, frontiers of knowledge. So neat. That uses a bunch of words we've learned over the past few posts, and even a few we've yet to learn. For example, cooperative, which we'll get to in our next issue, though this meaning of cooperative is not the same as the legal entity type that we'll be discussing. Stupid English. It's a system that affects division of labor, to produce goods or services. The firm is. The firm is a system that affects division of labor to produce goods or services. It is necessarily smaller than the industry, the sum of all of the firms that produce a good or service. Firm often means a specific company within the industry, but I like this broader approach of this definition because it doesn't need to necessarily mean a single company but it is broad enough to encompass multiple companies working together as a central institution so long as that cooperative production is, in fact, cooperative. The companies are working together. We're going to talk about this more in a little bit. So we could define a firm as a bunch of companies working together to cooperatively provide goods or services. A network, if you will. Under this definition, a centralized network, one of the constituent companies, or even one person within one of those companies, would make decisions on behalf of the network. In a decentralized network, each of these companies, or even divisions of those companies, if the companies themselves are decentralized, are empowered to make decisions that affect the whole network. This is admittedly a slightly broader approach to the concept of a firm than usual, but I don't think we've broken any rules here. As we've pointed out, the key part of the definition isn't necessarily that the firm is a company, 
but rather that it is the central institution of cooperative production for a good or service. Thus, the centralization and decentralization question within a firm tends to come down to the mechanisms of cooperation. We call the mode, the mechanism of cooperation between multiple entities with a common goal, network governance. Quote, we define the term network narrowly. Our focus is on groups of three or more legally autonomous organizations that work together to achieve not only their own goals, but also a collective goal. Such networks are comprised of autonomous organizations and thus are essentially cooperative endeavors. Since networks are not legal entities, we do not consider joint ventures and equity-based alliances to be true networks, the legal imperative for governance is simply not present as it is for organizations. For goal-directed organizational networks with a distinct identity, however, some form of governance is necessary to ensure that participants engage in collective and mutually supportive action, that conflict is addressed, and that network resources are acquired and utilized efficiently and effectively. End quote. Proven and Canis, Modes of Network Governance, Structure Management, and Effectiveness, April 2008. As we'll eventually see after all the posts on this site are done, my proposals here won't necessarily preclude a centralizing organization that performs some of the network function on behalf of the cooperating companies. Thus, for effective cooperation, we need to borrow ideas of both organizational governance and network governance. The first deals with how the network or firm is structured. The second with how the organizations within the network cooperate with each other. Quote, cooperation is not equivalent to harmony. Harmony requires complete identity of interests, but cooperation can only take place in situations that contain a mixture of conflicting and complementary interests. In such situations, Cooperation occurs when actors adjust their behavior to the actual or anticipated preference of others. End quote. Axelrod and Keohane, Achieving Cooperation Under Anarchy, October 1985. Anarchy means a lack of common, common government and is most commonly used in reference to political government. But here we mean that despite common goals, there is no organizational structure or network of cooperation beyond the public actions of the participants. In economic, as opposed to political contexts, we might call this a market. This doesn't mean that there isn't cooperation, simply that there is no common governance network to facilitate it. Organizations acting under anarchy cooperate under a variety of conditions based on mutuality of interests, the shadow of the future, and the number of organizations involved. Logically, the greater the conflicts of interest, the less likely organizations are to cooperate. Or, stated inversely, the more shared interests there are, the more likely organizations are to cooperate. Thus, one axiom to encourage cooperation is to demonstrate mutuality of interest, especially as those interests relate to, quote, events that take place outside of the control of the actors. Say, for example, climate change. 
In other words, where organizations have a common external threat, they are more likely to cooperate in the face of that threat. These aren't simply objective conflicts, but take into account an organization's perception of their own interests. It's not enough to recognize climate change as an external threat. The organization must perceive itself as benefiting from participating in its solution. We can see this best in the class free rider problem. It may be in any given organization's best interest to let the others in the industry address the problem rather than expend resources cooperating, even if everyone cooperating objectively obtains a better result. Thus, not only must, quote, climate change objectively be an existential threat to the world, consumers, or even specific industries, it must be seen as an existential threat to each organization itself whose benefits are shared by all of those that participate in its solution. One specific tool to encourage perception of mutuality of interest is in shared specific costs. Quote, specific costs such as specialized training, machine tools, and construction cannot be recovered in the event of the breakdown of an agreement. When parties to an agreement incur high specific costs, repudiation of commitments will entail substantial losses. End quote. A second factor influencing when independent actors cooperate with each other is their perception of the future state of such cooperation. More simply, does the individual view the cooperation as short-lived and incidental, or does the individual see cooperation as necessary for long-term success? In making determinations about the success of long-term cooperation, actors consider expectations of continuing to deal with each other, the stakes in working with each other do not change significantly or unpredictably over time, reliability of information about others' actions, and the iterative nature of feedback related to others' actions. Rather than belabor the point, I'll simply point out that in some manner, all four of these factors relate to the frequency and reliability of communication amongst the organizations. As frequency and reliability increases, the shadow of the future is more predictable and organizations are more likely to cooperate. Specific tools for lengthening the shadow of the future include explicitly clarify standards of conduct related to the cooperation, implement policies of transparency, increasing the iterative nature of the relationships, and increasing linkages between issues amongst organizations. I will point out that we actually discussed the benefits of increasing linkages between issues way back in issue 18 when we talked about the community capitals framework. Finally, the more organizations that need to cooperate, the less likely cooperation can be maintained. Duh. More participants means higher transaction and information costs. More participants means higher control costs and keeping those participants engaged in the cooperation. Moreover, makes it harder to punish any single participant for not cooperating. The more participants involved, 
the higher the likelihood of free riding by any one participant. Strategies for countering the problems of large number of participants get at some of the benefits of of adopting greater organizational structure that we'll see below. For example, one proposed solution is to adopt an organizational structure related to the cooperation. Narrowly defining the basis of cooperation can be effective too if the cooperation can stay focused on the things on which there is consensus, then individuals that may differ on the margins will be less likely to defect. Finally, reducing the number of participants can be effective. As we'll see later, this might mean grouping participants by subsets of commonalities and having representative of those groups cooperate Excuse me, we'll, come, we'll go back to that. As we'll see later, this might mean grouping participants by subsets of commonalities and having representatives of those groups cooperate reduces the number that... Sorry, I'm trying to figure out what I wrote here. Uh, grouping participants by subset of commonalities and having representatives of those groups cooperate reduces the number the numbers that must participate in the cooperation while permitting a large number of affected participants. Sorry. Similarly, allowing participants to interact amongst subsets on some issues and recognizing that consensus won't be achieved everywhere can keep participants engaged in the ultimate goal of the cooperative effort. Under anarchy, the lack of any organizational structure, we, see, we still see that cooperation is possible under a number of conditions that are largely influenced by the extent of communication between organizations. A secondary observation is that even under anarchy, we see that some organizational structure can greatly benefit the cooperative effort, even if the structure is only tied to the specific issues on which the participants are cooperating. In a distributed network, each organization within the network is autonomous and contains all of the resources necessary to operate on a standalone basis. When resources of one organization aren't available, the resources of the other organizations can pick up the slack. Distributed networks may or may not possess some level of network governance, a shared mode of communication between the participants. It may be as simple as market communication as in anarchy, or it may be a more formalized mode of communication. But typically, in a distributed environment, other than the recognition of a common goal and membership in the network, there may not be network governance, explicit cooperation. As compared to anarchic or centralized networks, distributed networks have the advantage of flexibility and scalability, faster performance, and increased security. Flexibility and scalability are increased because if one organization isn't available, others are. Moreover, this increases performance because users of the network can engage with local organizations in the distributed network instead of going all the way to a specific centralized organization. In a distributed network, this coordination may be offloaded to the user rather than handled by the network itself. Finally, security is increased because when one organization is compromised, the users of the network at other organizations are not. Of course, 
Once we achieve any level of shared cooperation, we have two principal downsides, increased maintenance costs and coordination problems. In a distributed network, the organizations are often highly duplicative of each other and create multiple instances of the same resources. This duplication of effort and resources is admittedly less efficient. There is necessarily cost in maintaining the network itself, even if the cost is just a knowledge cost, knowing who are members of the network. And indeed, discovering members of a distributed network can be a challenge because of these information costs. Federation is when groups share a common fundamental resource that makes the groups, in a sense, interchangeable and extendable. Each organization in the network, like in a distributed environment, is an autonomous unit. But unlike a distributed environment, the autonomous, use, the, the autonomous units explicitly share a common resource that permits cooperation. For example, in a political federation, the autonomous units might share a common government. Think the United Federation of Planets. In a federated social media network, it might be a common messaging protocol, like Mastodon's use of ActivityPub. In a federated system, the autonomous units explicitly share a resource that enables cooperation. In a distributed network, we have redundancy amongst the autonomous organizations and the organizations share a common goal, but there's no real requirement that they actually coordinate or cooperate. Don't misunderstand. In a distributed network, the members are aware of each other and are part of a network. But Federation takes this one step further and provides a centralized mode of cooperation, even if it falls short of coordination. Federated networks display many of the same advantages of distributed networks because of the standalone nature of each network participant. But it also starts to enable some of the features of centralization, namely consistency and interoperability. Because of the shared common resource, federated networks operate more as a unified whole. Moreover, instead of just interchangeability, federation enables interoperability. The organizations within the network aren't just replacements for each other, but they work together to make the replacement of one for the other more seamless. Whew, okay, we're done for today. I know this was a lot and it stayed pretty abstract. I thought about chopping this up into two articles, but frankly, I've already chopped this up into four articles. I promise the next articles will be a lot more concrete. But I hope you're starting to see where this is going. We've established that the live animal agricultural systems are centralized and have caused real harms. We've established that there are ways to approach the problem of how to organize in the industry and proposed now that a decentralized system may more adequately meet consumer needs because of its smaller individual footprints than high levels of redundancy. We've even seen that cooperation amongst participants is enabled regardless of the model of decentralization. I might further propose that today, outside of the large centralized parts of the live animal agriculture system, we largely see a system in anarchy, though there are small regional instances of distributed or even federated networks. In our next article, we'll take a bit of a breather and talk about a popular legal structure for decentralized network governance, 
the cooperative. See you next time.